Shut up and sit down. That's it. What's up, guys? We're live. Episode 90 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm your host, Daryl. It's good to be back. It's been a week since we did the last show, uh, which has been received very well. So thank you for everybody that's listened uh, to the show. Really appreciate that, as always. Um, but it seems like Wednesday evenings are going to be the most consistent time uh, that we can put in the diary to record one of these shows every week. And I think that's going to, just for regularity purposes, for obviously familiarity um, in terms of new audience members, new listeners, just when you can expect content to come out. If we can do that on a on a more structured basis, that just helps overall, I think, uh, from a growth and from a from an engagement point of view. So I think we're going to look at Wednesday evenings to to record the show and to get it out on Thursday. Um, it seems to have a nice shelf life over the weekend, which is great. Um, and I just want to be more structured with this whole thing as we go forward, because again, I'm looking at uh, bringing in guests uh, in hopefully the not too distant future, and that will help with scheduling, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, so it's been about a week, and I mean, obviously, tons of shit has happened. I wanted to do a show earlier in the week, but keeping a schedule in mind and also some time conflicts and whatnot, it didn't happen. Um, but never mind, people have put lots of opinions to the to the airwaves and to the papers. Uh, about certain things that have gone on this week, which we're going to cover. Um, but I just wanted to say up front, thank you again for everybody that's listening to the show. Uh, I really want to try to get some new equipment in here because listening to some of the feedback and listening to the shows, it's some of the audio is just not right. And being a one-man band, <clears throat> kind of putting this stuff together on on my own, I don't necessarily have the time to sit for hours and kind of equalize and synthesize and remove noise distortion and whatnot. Um, so I think I just need to kind of buy the problem away a little bit and just buy some some upgraded equipment. So I'll keep you tuned on that. You'll probably notice as you know as the shows improve, but just ongoing things. So stick with us, anybody that's uh, that's that's kind of fed back on some of the echoey uh, noise distortion. I'm aware of it and it's something that uh, I'm gonna be working on. Um, as I said, last to get into, um, I've been going on this this mission now of exploring ways to get my content back from from Facebook, and there seems to be potentially a couple of options opening up. Uh, as I stated before, I am not interested in getting back onto Facebook as a user. That will not happen. I am finished with that with that platform. I think it's nothing but negative. Uh, I'm just obviously frustrated because there's a lot of content of mine on there, including things like wedding photos and pictures of my old dog that I want. And as I use Facebook for effectively a storage unit and a photo album, I don't have digital copies of a lot of those things. Of course, I've got wedding photos and whatnot, but more nostalgic uh, memories. And also the content from my business pages, including episodes of this show, which up until my deplatforming were uh, were uploaded there as an outlet for that community, which again, we invested in and grew and were, were, were starting to get real nice engagement with, that's all gone, right? So this is actually more than just a deplatforming from a freedom of speech perspective. 
there's actually financial impact to me on this. But again, I don't want the platform. I will utilize other things aside from Facebook. I've come to realize now that two weeks out or however long it's been that that is that platform is such a negative mood drain. And they clearly have an MO in mind as to where they want to take the platform, which I vehemently disagree with. And I think having this situation occur, it was almost like, I want to equate it almost to like an intervention where you're being dragged away from your problems or dragged away from the negative influence in your life and made to leave it alone by force. Facebook have almost done me a favor in deplatforming me. Aside from the fact that they're housing my content, because we all know Facebook doesn't delete anything, along with them housing my content, they've actually, aside from that, they've actually done me a favor because I feel better now that I'm not on Facebook. I, it's one thing I don't even have to think about. And it became really a force of habit. It was a, like an oral fixation. It was like what some people equate the hard bits of like, obviously there's a nicotine addiction when you smoke and you quit smoking, there's a withdrawal from the actual chemicals in the product. But a lot of people say that it's an oral fixation. It's something to do with their hands. Now, obviously a lot of that is just a cop out and they are addicted to the substance, but nevertheless, going cold Turkey, ripping it away from them, removing the potential for that oral fixation. You know, it's, it's a cold Turkey break kind of thing. Um, you can say you're not addicted to Facebook. You can say that you don't have a problem with going online and dawdling around and wasting your time um, on social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. But I don't believe 99% of, of you. And something like, what is it, like 85% of them are daily active users. So that's like 1.7 billion people going onto that platform every single day. So there are a lot of social media addicts, right? And you can pick your drug of choice, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, Pinterest, whatever it may be. I don't know which other ones are out there. Snapchat, obviously. Um, there are a lot of social media addicts. There are a lot of mobile phone junkies. And by Facebook kind of deplatforming me the way they did was having the needle ripped out of my hand. It was kind of having the bottle taken away and like dumped down the sink right in front of my face. There was nothing I could do about it. It was being dragged to rehab, right? It was going cold turkey right now. And I think actually a lot of us could probably benefit from this because before I actually was removed from Facebook, I was kind of running experiments on myself about my mood and how I felt when I wasn't using the platform on a regular basis. And this started back last year in November. When I was on holiday in Cape Verde, I told myself I'm not going on my phone. We were out there for almost two weeks. By about day seven, I was like, let me upload some photos. Could be taking some nice photos on the beach and in the pool and in the ocean, whatnot. I was like, let me upload some photos. And... I uploaded the photos and within a few minutes found myself scrolling aimlessly through the newsfeed. 
And I was like, what are you doing? And I logged off. And I had noticed that my mood was worse that evening than it was on any of the previous evenings. Could there be a, a, a host of reasons for that? Of course. But I did it again and I took three days off when we got back and then I went back on and felt the same way. And I did this a couple more times leading up to me being removed. And it was something that I even on this podcast I've mentioned, you know, getting off of Facebook, giving a detox uh, of social media and just see how, seeing how you feel. And I was doing that on a, you know, on a regular basis. And it really, really did bear out to show that for me personally, Facebook was more of a mood drainer than an enhancer. Now, whether or that, whether or not that is because how of how Facebook's algorithm is set up to serve me content so that I click and engage on more articles and that transfers into ad revenue, perhaps. But overall, even if I saw user content from people on my, say, friends list, I didn't feel better coming off of Facebook than when I went on. And if you're spending an hour and a half on there a day or an hour on there a day or whatever your whatever your total is, and I'm sure there's people who spend a lot more time than that on Facebook, you are effectively just pissing that time away. And not only pissing that time away, in my experience, doing yourself an emotional disservice because of how it made me feel after I came. And it wasn't, I'm not like sitting here bitching like, oh, it made me so sad. I felt like killing myself after I came off of Facebook. I'm so depressed. It wasn't that. It was just blah. You know, if you eat like a big bowl of pasta and you just feel over full, but you're not like, you don't feel good full. You feel bloated and just kind of nasty full. Like if you eat a bag of potato chips or like a whole bunch of chocolate, or if you just go a little crazy with dessert, right? You overindulge a little bit and then you just kind of, ugh, you're kind of sick full. That was more how it made me feel bogged down. It was just a drain. It just seemed like there was more weight on my shoulders. And then, Again, I'm not saying that as soon as I got off the platform, I was like, oh, you know, I'm feeling so light and airy and, and floating around in this bubble of, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It wasn't that. It was just a difference. It was a difference. It was a shift. And I just wonder how many people, if given the opportunity either by force or whatever to give it a rest on on Facebook specifically. I mean, Twitter's a fucking cesspool too, let's be honest. Since getting off Facebook, I've probably been on Twitter a whole lot more. I definitely have certainly been more engaged on the podcast page. But Twitter is a cesspool as well. You just can't go into these threads and into these comments on the internet because it just shows the absolute worst of us. Mm. Worst of people. Um, and I just, I just wonder, man, if I just wish more people would give it a go and just get off of there for a bit because it helped me. It, uh, maybe I'm phrasing this wrong. Like I had some fucking, like I'm sitting in a corner shaking when I'm not on Facebook. It wasn't that it was just a force of habit. You open your mobile phone, you open your folder, or if you're, uh, if your Facebook's app app is actually on your homepage, you know, it's one of those things. You, you you swipe into your phone, click, what's what's going on in the feed? Force a habit. It's almost like a classical conditioning thing that we're, we're given a serotonin shot or an endorphin shot when 
we see the notifications in our profile. Therefore, we're keen on repeating the habit to see if there's more notifications in the profile, right? So leading to that end result of getting that, what is it, dopamine? If we get that dopamine hit, then we want to replicate that, right? It's the mouse with the cheese and the maze, right? It's, uh, it's press the lever for a dog treat. You're going to get that dog smacking that lever like a crazy crackhead, you know? It's force a habit. It's that oral fixation. It's the time we spend on this device that has you know, become a complete part of us. Is It is effectively your mobile phone is an appendage that you can set down and walk away from, but you don't. It's become so in, entrenched in every moment of every day of our lives. And a big part of that is our usage of Facebook and social media apps. So I think a detox is a is a great idea and personally for me it has served me very well and i just think that it's really having an impact on our mental health we just got done with mental health awareness week right and we were talking about being more passionate to people and, and, and more passionate more compassionate to people don't be more passionate to people you probably get fired or brought up on charges um being more compassionate, being more understanding. We don't know how many um, sad clowns are out there, right? How many people are hiding behind a smile or a facade of everything's okay. But I was just giving this more thought because obviously with the kind of addiction that we just talked about with social media and our mobile phones and, you know, all different forms of addiction, addiction and treatment and how we how we judge those things we're so quick to stigmatize things right as a as a problem you're a you're a leper get get out of here you're like just a pariah um we we treat addiction negatively still and as i get older this is becoming more of a mental shift for me in terms of care and treatment rather than vilification because you have to really look at the environmental challenges and the environmental factors that play a part in addiction because it's overwhelming it's overwhelmingly a social problem or there's a social correlation to the problem and maybe i need to take more of a stance of like that on things like knife crime i just feel like knife crime is more of a severe repercussions there's more severe repercussions for those that are not directly involved in it you're more likely to be hurt collaterally uh, in a more serious manner from knife crime than you are from drug addiction, but they do definitely tie in together. Right? With addiction comes crime. But I would really like to focus, especially on youth addiction, just in terms of the environmental aspects and, and how that can affect mental health. Right? Even if it's not an addiction, the environmental factors that contribute to poor mental health, like poverty, like... Uh, broken homes like violence in the homes alcoholism right this addiction that comes back to have a generational impact on the uh the addict's children or grandchildren so on and so forth like there's all these things that are intertwined and a lot of times it can be it can be hard to pull them apart and sort of unpack them in a sensible way and i just wanted to put some thought behind sort of the environmental impacts and and obviously changing it from a from a foundational level, I think that's really the root of how we fix mental health. And and perhaps I've mentioned this before, I don't know, but that's, you know, charity starts at home, right? Like, 
that's how I'm thinking about this. We have to do better in terms of the people that are having kids, how they're raising them, the resources available to them, you know, how we, how we raise people, you know, the social mobility of raising people out of poverty. These are all key factors. You know, if you come from a household where there is constant arguing or alcoholism or both, and then escalates into abuse, you are you are in a fucking shitstorm scenario, right? It is going to be tough. From a numbers perspective, it's going to be real tough for you to make it out of there and be a champion. We only hear the success stories. We never hear of the, you know, the failed opportunities. That's why the secret's so good, right? You only hear of people, you only hear about the secret from people who it's worked from. You don't ever hear about the secret from people who read the book, saw the movie, put the thing into practice and are still like broke or still work a shitty job that they hate. Couldn't just manifest it. And then you'll say, oh, well, you didn't put the practice in, you know, strong enough. Um, it's, uh, it, it's really kind of, it's really on us as a society, a society to raise up the less fortunate and that's why I agree with some of this, you know, high, high taxes on the super wealthy. I heard once, and I can't remember who it was from, maybe it was on a Rogan podcast or something like that, but it was, it was basically about acquiring power, right? And with wealth comes power and accessibility to power. And once you acquire power, it is not to utilize that power for your own self-interest. It is to provide, it is to utilize that power that you have to then give that power back to the people that don't have it by their own means. Social mobility, right? Raising the poverty, raising people out of poverty, giving them opportunities, educational opportunities, um, you know, employment opportunities, investment that a person like Jeff Bezos, for instance, could, you know, could, could do, go a long way to help solve, but doesn't. Still trying to put things on the moon, but you never hear about his philanthropic uh, activities around raising the communities up in the country that's made him so wealthy. And, by the way, who treats his employees like they're second-class citizens. Why would you expect him to be, you know, uh, a social philanthropist, as it were? But I think the environmental aspects... And the socioeconomic aspects to mental health are fundamental to understanding the overall problem. I hate piecemeal band-aid type solutions, you know, buddying up with a colleague at work or, you know, just talk to your buddies about it. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And... Unless we start to address foundational reasons and issues in a proper, serious way, mental health will only become worse. Because all of the factors that I've been talking about for the last five minutes or so, plus the stuff that I've mentioned about social media and our ongoing addiction with that, and our growing immersion into this technology, we are only going to exacerbate the problems that we're seeing now such as depression anxiety suicide alcoholism substance abuse in general 
broken homes and all of that, it's just only going to be exacerbated if we don't actually look at fixing the core problem. And I think in a lot of cases, this is breaking cyclical poverty, multi-generational poverty. It is providing more educational outcomes. It is providing more community outlets. It is providing a safer uh, kind of community environment. I mean, I've spoken on the podcast about the break-ins and the robberies that have been happening. And I'm, now I'm having to Fort Knox my house. I've just ordered more cameras for my house today because I'm not going to get taken a victim of. I have a baseball bat next to my bed, which I was practicing practicing my swing with the other day. And like an absolute asshole, swacked, 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 whacked. I fucking cracked my shin so hard with a full swing. I thought I broke my leg. I'm not joking. I pulled a piece of wood out of the trousers, the trousers that I was wearing, and I have a dent in my shin. So I'm taking precautions, um, haphazard in some in some ways, um, to protect myself. But the reason I bring this up is because mental the people that they they've caught a couple of people for some of these break-ins. And they are effectively homeless, drug addicts, and destitute. Does that justify what they've done? Absolutely not. But if we understand it, if we understand root problems, then we can attack a solution from origin. I don't know what we can do about people now. We have to take them through the criminal justice system. Of course, we have to do what is right and by the law for sure. But what I'm talking about is fixing this in our youths. It's all about the kids, man. It's all about the young people in this country. It's all about the next generation that's coming up behind us and how we, how we make it a place, a world, a society, a community that they can be confident in, feel secure in, invest in, and want to be a part of. Because these break-ins these robberies, these knife attacks. I mean, just down the road for me in a recycling plant, this morning, they found human remains. This is less than a quarter of a mile from my house. Okay? Now, I don't live in a fucking Saw movie. Like, this is not The Purge, right? Like, I live in the Royal Borough of Greenwich in London. We should not have these problems. And I've talked about the law enforcement side of this, but just staying with the mental health aspect of things and some of the issues that we've been talking about today, we need to we need to raise up our kids so that we don't have a bunch of drug addicted, desperate, poor People, young adults that have no options and turn to violence and crime. We have to build up our community and we are not doing that right now. And I think mental health awareness could be significantly affected in a positive way if we looked more at how badly we're doing our children right now. How bad, how bad are we servicing our kids in preparation for the future? 
we can't even come to an agreement on a customs union to leave the EU. How are we supposed to raise the next generation in a sensible way? It's, it boggles the mind. So I don't know, even know where I was going with that. It just was kind of a, a stream of consciousness in terms of, you know, addiction and socioeconomic environmental factors that are root causes of, and an awareness of those problems could help us really drill down into making this less of a problem. In the adult community, it's a substance problem. And of course, there are mental health issues that are, you know, lying dormant that only manifest in adulthood or whatever, you know, maybe a trigger has, has happened and really sparked it, you know, that kind of snap moment. Um, but for the adults, you know, alcohol, lack of exercise, things we've all talked about before. But what I was talking about there was just, you know, mainly for the kids, mainly for the kids, because these kids are getting addicted to drugs younger, they're addicted to their phones, they're not concerned with any authority, they don't really have any fear, the, uh, the substance abuse only mitigates any sort of fear even more, and we just have a dog-eat-dog -dog world where people are randomly getting stabbed, people are showing up in fucking garbage disposals, people are getting macheted, people are getting broken into, cars stolen, so on and so forth. And this is in a four, basically four blocks of my house. All of what I just said has happened in the last month in four blocks of my, within four blocks of my house. So yes, I am securing my house up and I know I'm a bit all over the place here and again, stream of consciousness. So I'm just coming at you with it, guys. Um, I think looking at some of these root causes will will really help us, you know, rip the Band-Aid off of, of, of this problem and really start to treat it because I don't think we're really doing anything to treat it right now. It's like the plastic issue, right? I, I, I've been <clears throat> looking at this a little bit as well because we're going, you know, we're giving up all kind of single-use plastics and, you know, we've already made measures to do that. We don't have any plastic straws in the house. And, you know, it's the straw issue that's starting to be the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of how fucked off I am about how to solve this issue because I don't even use straws. I don't use straws. Who's using all the fucking straws? Restaurants? Like, I don't think single-use straws are the major issue here in the plastic epidemic, right? I, I just don't. Like, I read somewhere that they said cigarette butts are the number one cause of pollution in the oceans, I think it, it, it said in the article I read. And I just thought, really? Is it that? And if it is that, then isn't the burden on the manufacturers of those cigarettes to produce a recyclable product that is just as not safe as the poison that are in their products in the first place? And isn't it on these corporations that manufacture these products en masse and distribute en masse and the grocery stores and the garbage companies and and like where are the corporations taking responsibility for the plastic problem that we have they always try to put the guilt on us and the ownership on us 
It's like, you're the ones making the shit. Of course, we're consuming it, uh, consuming it, consuming it, consuming it. So we're creating the demand and we have to do our, our, our job in terms of, you know, refusing that, which can be, you know, easier said than done. But there has to be some burden on these corporations to take responsibility in a big way. It's, a, it's about taking chunks out of the problem, not little nibbles. And when you make plastic straws seem like the major issue of environmental damage that's being caused by plastic, it's a bit disingenuous, I think. In fact, I think it's a lot disingenuous. Not to mention plastic straws are way better than paper straws. <laughs> the only time I use a straw is if I get nice Americano. And the weather's warming up, so that's going to obviously be more frequent than it was in previous months over the winter. But my coffee, my, the, the coffee shop I go to already uses, uh, <laughs> already uses the uh, paper straws. But what's fucking hilarious is they come in a single-use plastic cup. So how does that make any fucking sense? Right? They stick a biodegradable straw made from some sort of shit paper that basically dissolves before you're done the drink in a plastic cup that is going to be chucked out and defeat the whole entire purpose of having the straw in there. Just have just have a plastic straw. Like don't pretend you're going that's the thing. It's like this corporation, Costa Coffee, who's now owned by Coca-Cola, right? One of the biggest plastic manufacturers in the world. Think about how many Coke bottles get filled with plastic every single hour of every single day, right? Not to mention the other products that Coca-Cola puts out. You ever seen that chart? The six companies that control everything? It's hilarious. Like you've got, right, so there's a, there's a thing and it's called the 10 companies that control everything you buy, right? On that list is PepsiCo, General Mills, Kellogg's, Associated British Foods, Mondelez, uh, Mars, Danone, Unilever, Coca-Cola, and Nestle. And if you just look at the Coca-Cola part of that, there are five strands off of it, and that includes everything from Coca-Cola to Sprite to Fanta, Dasani Water, you've got uh, Vitell Water, you've got Smart Water, you've got Fuse, you've got NOS Energy Drinks. Like, I mean, think of all the plastic that they're pumping into the world, right? Slide over one, go to Unilever, right? Everything from uh, bread to butter to spreads to household items to femcare and male body products. Like then you've got Danone who make all the yogurts in the whole fucking world, right? I bet you didn't know if you drank smart water, you're drinking a product from Coca-Cola, right? There you go. You should have a look at this this um, this uh, infographic type of thing that, that they've got it because it's really, really interesting. I mean, if you look at Nestle, Nestle is everything. It's insane. You look at General Mills. You look at, you know, you, again, Procter & Gamble, like Mondelez, like everything in the grocery store or 
other shops <laughs> because they go they they're pretty wide reaching. Basically, everything that's wrapped in plastic is because of, in some part, in major part, to these ten companies, to these ten corporations. Now, how the fuck are they not being held responsible and we're getting guilt tripped like we have to reduce our usage of straws? Get out of here. Again, they're going to put it on us, right? Well, you need to recycle. You need to pick, pick apart your plastic. The burden of ownership of this problem, the ownership should be on these corporations, the ones that manufacture the products, the ones that produce the plastics, right? Because it's cost effective. Well, then they're going to pass the margin uh, difference on to the consumer. It's going to make your products more expensive. Okay. Let the market decide. Let the market decide. But don't guilt trip the public into saying like single-use plastic straws are the major problem because I'm not buying it. Ultimately, I'm not buying it. If you look at the problem from a bird's eye view, what you do is you get to see the image that I was just referencing and how the landscape is actually set up and where the where the ownership should actually be put for this problem. Should we all do our individual responsibility? Of course, of course. I got a garden growing in my backyard that's gonna feed me most of my fruits and vegetables for this year if the weather smartens up, right? But I've already been picking uh, broad beans. There's carrots that are almost ready to go. I got garlic out there. I've got rosemary herbs. I've got an apple tree growing. I've got blueberries going. I've got spinach and kale going. Like tomatoes are, are coming up. Like I'm trying to do my part, right? And as I said before, we're trying to reduce our plastic usage anyhow. And we're doing that in a number of different ways. But I don't see these corporations doing much of anything to help the problem and take a chunk out of the problem, which is what they have the capability of doing. All right? It's like someone like Jeff Bezos. Like, did you see this commencement speech? This commencement speech in, uh, where was it? Mississippi or something? Somewhere in America. Detroit or something? <coughs> I don't know. But it was... Um, it was this gentleman giving the commencement speech. He was a billionaire, uh, black entrepreneur, I believe. I can't remember the exact business. Um, but he was delivering a commencement speech at a university. And it was, a, uh, I think, an old black university. So maybe Howard or, or something like that. I can't remember. Um, that's not the point. The point is, during the commencement speech, he turned around and said, everybody in the graduating class, I'm paying off your student loans. What an act of generosity, just off the cuff, because he can. Like, Jeff Bezos could do so much with his money. So much with his money. And I hate rich people that sit on piles of cash. And I'm not saying he does nothing. And I'm not taking aim at him specifically. But if you look at some of the things that, that a Bill Gates is doing, or you know, his foundation with his wife. Like, there are social initiatives out there by very wealthy people that do great work. No doubt about it. I'm just saying I think more of the rich in this world could be doing more to help those that are struggling. That's all I'm saying. But what we read about, what we read about in the paper is the news that Amazon are investing 
400, 450 million quid into Deliveroo, which all, which ultimately will be an automated service, okay? Because we're moving towards, auto, auto, uh, sorry guys, we're moving towards automation in a number of different industries. Food delivery is categorically gonna be on that list. And if you look at all the work that Amazon as a corporation are doing with automation already, you can see that this is absolutely inevitable. So Amazon are investing in a, basically a freelance business because again, Deliveroo riders are like Uber drivers, right? They basically, they sign up on their own behest. They work <coughs> on a freelance basis and get paid like shit. That's right up Jeff Bezos' street, right? He doesn't pay Amazon workers, you know, a, a proper living wage. They are worked like slaves. They are timed on their bathroom breaks. So what do you think he's looking to do? He is looking to find a, he's trying to get the company to a place where he can get his labor done by robots and phase out the work, uh, the workforce. So he's not for the working man. Don't get that twisted whatsoever. He might do philanthropic endeavors. I don't know. I don't know all the stuff that he does, but what I do know is how he treats his employees, what it's like to work for, uh, for Amazon. And I've heard this firsthand, by the way, um, a friend of mine uh, got a job there and quickly departed after he saw what it was like. I mean, timed bathroom breaks? Get the fuck out of here, right? So a guy like Jeff Bezos ultimately is not interested in the, the working man, working woman, working family. He's very interested in the working man, working woman, working family, buying his products on an astounding basis on astounding rates, you know what I mean? Like he wants you coming to Amazon for everything. That's why he's trying to put the high street out of business. That's why he's trying to put food delivery out of business. That's why he's trying to completely own publishing. There are reasons behind this, right? He is a, he, he is a, I don't even know what you'd class him as. You know, he's a Rockefeller. He's a Carnegie. He's one of these guys. He is simply focused on acquisition and domination from a perspective of wealth. He's a maniac. Only maniacs endeavor this way. So he doesn't give a fuck about the average working man. Couldn't care less because he thinks every one of you guys that work for him can be replaced by a robot. And you know what? In most cases, probably right. He's probably right. So with this investment into Deliveroo... 450 million quid. He's looking to take over the food delivery market as well. And that's got nothing to do with helping people out. That's got nothing to do with helping people out. You think he's going to like just keep the Deliveroo drivers riding around London on bikes? No, they're looking to invest in this to automate this business so they can phase out the human workforce. That's what will happen. You'll have Amazon drones delivering your food in the next five years if they get the regulations to fly in the city. You know, like that kind of shit. So I don't even know how I got on this topic. I'm just, I'm going off on one today. Um, what else are we talking about? Oh, can we go, where, where should we go next? Because we've got so much shit to talk about. Should we talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger getting drop kicked in South Africa? 
by some kid who obviously didn't know that hitting the Terminator in the back is not a good idea. Like, this kid was, I don't know, like, a little dart. Like, he came through the air like fucking Liu Kang in Mortal Kombat doing the bicycle kick, you know? Out of nowhere, hits him in the small of the back or kind of in the mid-back. Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, when you see it from his angle or from, like, the very, very close angle, you seem, it seems to be more impactful than it is. But when you see it from the other side of the gym, this kid comes flying out of nowhere, drop kicks him in the back, and Schwarzenegger barely moves. <laughs> like, he's such a fucking unit still. You know, Mr. Universe, man. It's, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> like, just swatting flies. Just swatting flies. I mean, the guy, the guy, I mean, the kid's lucky, right? The kid's lucky he didn't get fucked up. They just kind of choked him out a little bit, pushed him away, and that was kind of it. But Schwarzenegger just brushed it off. He's like, I hope it didn't fuck up my Snapchat. I hope it didn't mess up the Snapchat. Like, that's, like he's such a legend. Arnold Schwarzenegger is such a legend. I don't like what he did to Tookie Wilson when he was governor of California, but aside from that, greatest action movie star ever. Um, and just a legend all around, you know? What a motivate! What a motivator! Um, just, just a legend. And he's down there, obviously, trying to help out with fitness and you know community engagement in South Africa. And some ignorant little prick, of course, has to try to get viral, uh, which he's done successfully, I might add. Um, but Arnold was just like, "What was that? I don't know, but something just brushed up against my hair." Let's get out of here. Get to the Jabba. Starts freaking out when he sees a person's like try to drop kick him. <laughs> try to finish him like a video game. You know? But just ended up running into a brick wall. Like remember when I told you I was kill you last? I lied. Just switches. Fucking takes out the whole gymnasium. Fucking 70 odd year old Arnold Schwarzenegger just goes full Terminator. Um, but he took it, you know, he took it like a champ. Took it like a champ. He's just down there trying to do good things, you know? So that was funny. But um, <laughs> this week's been hilarious. Fucking Eurovision was on. This thing's still apparently, this thing's still a thing. I mean, you don't know about Eurovision in North America. If you do, you are, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't want to shit on you, but you're a certain type of person, you know, like fucking couple, couple head slams into the wall. Maybe if you know about Eurovision in, in North America and you're listening to this, I, I'm sorry for you and how your life has turned out because Eurovision is uh, quite simply the worst like talent competition, musical competition I've ever seen in my life. It's horrendous. Okay. It is nothing but just pantomime, dress up, like the most progressive inclusion, inclu like progressively inclusive show ever, right? So the winner last year was a, um, a transvestite. I don't even know if he was transsexual, but like dressed like a princess, like the guy was dressed like like Princess Jasmine from Aladdin, right? And he came out with a beard that was 
so thick and perfect. You know, like when an Arab guy goes to a barber and he gets his lines done and it's just like, they're just popping off the face. That's what, that's what this person's beard looked like. In a Princess Jasmine outfit. The, they had them, they had that winner back, by the way, to keep the, you know, progressive inclusion going, but it was just a combination of, of, of bad singers, terrible performances, kitschy choreography, and disorganized presentation up and down the show. The presenters are awful. They've got no chemistry they've got no banter they had madonna on this year i mean this was in my opinion not that her career was still alive and well but this was certainly the end of madonna's career officially because she was on stage with some rapper who don't even don't even think i, I can attempt to figure out who that was i don't care who that was i don't know who that was but the guy said <coughs> being interviewed five minutes before he went on stage with her didn't know who she was. Had to look her up. He's a musician. Had to look up Madonna. Don't. You're not a musician, pal. I'm not a huge Madonna fan. She's got a couple songs from the 80s that I can listen to, but I'm not a Madonna fan. I would not say that I am a fan of Madonna's music. I would say I'm a fan of a couple of her songs. You know, and if they come on and someone's listening to them, I won't turn them off. But I will never press play on a Madonna song myself. That's kind of where I stand with Madonna, right? But I appreciate her for the icon that she is with her fans, the gay icon she is with her fans, what kind of a megastar she was during the 80s and, you know, kind of a resurgence she had in the 90s. I get it. I'm just not a huge fan. But what I saw on the highlights of the Eurovision Song Contest was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. She, I, I don't know what it was. It was pantomime. She was kind of, she was kind of like going around, like she was, she was kind of just like kind of gesturing like a rapper. I guess maybe she thought how a rapper would gesture doing a song like that, but I don't know what the song was. The song was horrible. It was just a fucking shit show all around. She had an eye patch on. She's not blind. She doesn't have vision problems. She doesn't need an eye patch. It was a character she was playing. It didn't work. She looked like shit. She looked foolish. She sounded like shit. In my opinion, she should never perform in public again. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being harsh with that, but those are my opinions on the situation. It was disturbing to watch. I felt uncomfortable watching it, and it was nothing other than cringeworthy. So, you know, let's all retire her career and just say goodbye and hope hope we don't have to witness anything like that again it was kind of like britney spears when she performed drunk and rihanna and then we're laughing at her i just feel like everybody in the crowd was probably laughing at madonna i know i was cracking up when i saw it and i was sitting in the comfort of my own home i can only imagine how terrible that performance was live but that's the absurdity of the eurovision song contest that's the absurdity of celebrities holding on to fame and trying to stay relevant when all they do is look tried and very very awkward completely out of place and fake that's what this whole entire show was it was terrible and at the end some dickhead from the netherlands playing the piano who sung a terrible song but threw his arms back like there was a big gust of wind that was coming at him he won don't ask me what the song was
If you don't know what the Eurovision Song Contest is, consider yourself lucky. All right, so there's all right, enough with that. There's a couple more things that I just wanted to talk about uh, before we bounce. And I don't think they're going to take very long, but they have to be covered because I think they're pretty significant. They're developments that have happened over the you know, last week since we were on and uh, and they're worth commenting on, I believe. And the first one I'm talking about, we're gonna go we're gonna go to the states on this one, yeah. So we're gonna go to the Alabama uh, ruling law that was uh, kind of written up about abortion. And the Alabama ab abortion law effectively stated that it is illegal under any circumstances, to have an abortion in that state. Any medical practitioner found delivering an abortion procedure can face up to 99 years in prison because they are determining that life begins at conception. Now, obviously before speaking on this, there was some refresher material that I had to kind of go through and have a look at, you know, one being kind of Roe v. Wade, the current law that makes abortion legal for, you know, women to exercise that right under the, I think it's, what is it, 28 weeks? Um, but, of course, this law was... Uh, introduced by an old white dude um, who's, you know, running Alabama, you know? I mean, how much more do we need to, to, do we need to say other than framing the story like that? The current guy running Alabama, I think it's the governor, right, that did this, <clears throat> is an old, decrepit white motherfucker that, you know, is probably a hardcore conservative. Well, in fact, I know he's a conservative. He's a conservative um, he's massively right-wing and he's massively religious. So obviously his viewpoints from personal stand don't add up with believing in abortion. Okay, so they've tried to run this law and they want... The reason they've introduced this is so they can be sued and it can go through the courts because what they're trying to do is get it to the, to the Supreme Court where they can argue against the legality of Roe v. Wade. Now, there was another case, which I believe was um, the Duster Law. I'm probably getting that name wrong. But effectively, the way they came up with Roe v. Wade was by combining and inferring the meaning of three different amendments. It was like the 9th, the 11th, and the 14th or something like that. And they inferred across all of these, right? there was a right to privacy and that could be wrapped up in abortion, which then, and I'm doing a terrible fucking job simplifying this, by the way, so my apologies to anybody listening that might be a law student or a, uh, a person in that realm and that industry um that led to the determination of roe v wade when it happened when it happened and effectively is a bit of a shaky law from the things that i've read but that said it's been it's been in place and it's been upheld for 50 years now 
putting the law, the lawmakers, their demographic profile, the time in which these laws were considered and written and all of that, we have to break this down just to the foundation, right? To the root of the issue. And that is who should be able to tell a woman what she can do with her body. And the very, very simple answer is nobody. Now, from a medical perspective, are there parameters that should be put in place to protect the welfare of said mother, said woman, and the child that is in some form of development, whether that is kind of, you know, embryotic, fetus, you know, however long along in the uh, in the development it is, there should be something in there that says, okay, by this point, you definitely can't do it. Now, for me, the current law is fine, but I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert in fetal development. I just know that up to, what is it, a month? I think it's even more. There is no semblance of a human. There's no brain activity, nothing. So where this goes is the stage of viability, right? Which I believe is the current is the current law. So I'm not against that. But what I am against is the preposterous nature that these people, these commentators have to start throwing out arguments about what is right and what is wrong. Because unless you've got a pussy, I don't really think you should have any say about what happens inside of it. You know, like, am I, am I out to lunch on this or is this a very, very simple thing in 2019 to say there are doctors that safely perform this procedure based on the current laws and regulations. And we as a country, society, world community will not tell women that they cannot do something under any circumstances that has to do with the autonomy of those decision making about their own body. <clears throat> we'll stay the fuck out of it. That's it. There's no, there's no, there is nuance, obviously, in, in terms of the medical, um, you know, the, the, the medical aspect of like performing these procedures after a certain point in time, right? Now, I'm not trying to have abortions be just like kind of ordered up as a menu item for contraception. I'm also not for, you know, someone who's six months pregnant having an abortion. Like, what's 28 weeks? Is that six months? Fuck, man. I don't know. I got to look at this. But I was looking at the law, the Roe v. Wade stuff, and that just seems a bit shaky. And that was always left down to states to be able to challenge, which is what's happening now. And when you have a Supreme Court in America set up the way it is and a president who believes in he's a pro-life president, he's not a pro-choice president, then you can see how Roe v. Wade could potentially be in trouble. I don't think it'll get overturned because I don't think that would be something that would fall uh, quietly. I don't think the people would really allow it. I think they would take to the streets off of, uh, off of an issue like this. But who knows? Who knows? 
<laughs> but my own personal viewpoint is that if there is if there is no viability for the fetus being carried by the woman or the procedure doesn't cause uh, potentially life-threatening consequences for the woman and she chooses that she cannot do she can not, not go through with the pregnancy then I believe she should have the right to terminate that pregnancy and should be given the medical facilities to perform that procedure but other than the people on the repeal Roe v. Wade side of this argument, is there anybody out there that thinks that Roe v. Wade is a bad thing? Like anybody that's kind of pro-choice or, 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 or you know, or, or for abortion remaining legal, is there anybody that thinks Roe v. Wade is too loosey-goosey? Because nobody's really commenting on that. But I'm not, you know... I'm not an expert on this. I just think it's worth commenting on because when I see, and it's not a male-female thing, but it is particularly gross when you see old men commenting on what a woman should be able to do. And when you're offering a doctor and a woman who perform an abortion stiffer penalties than you would be offering the offender of, say, someone who raped that woman and got them pregnant... That's fucking crazy. Like if you're offering 99 year sentences for doctors who perform abortions in a medical facility, but you're only offering like, you know, what, five years for rape, if that, what's the minimum on that? Is there a mandatory minimum on that? Because I don't even think there is. But you're talking about like offering up a mandatory minimum of 100 years for a doctor to perform a surgery you know, a procedure that's been going on for 50 years and, and only gets safer every, you know, every year. I mean, it's fucking nuts. It's, it's, it's nuts that, it's nuts that we can even be audacious enough as a, a society to think that this is any way acceptable. To say, nah, you know what? You can't. You get raped? Too bad. Fuck you. Too bad. <coughs> you're a, you're a, a victim of incest? Too bad. Happened, happened accidentally? And you're 15, too bad. Your life's over. What are we talking about here? The fuck do you think? Like that, that's that's what people need to be. Who, like who the fuck do you think you are trying to tell me what I can do with my body? Get out of here. Until you can experience it or go through it, why are you even commenting on it? Are you a doctor? Are you a medical professional? Do you have extensive history with the you know with with providing these procedures and seeing how terribly wrong they go? Do you have some firsthand evidence that you can bring to the table to cite why you're making? And I'm talking to the governor of Alabama here. You know, what gives you the right to even make this declaration? It's just a disgusting thing. And, you know, I hope it'll go where it needs to go and that's straight in the garbage. But... You know, I guess it's a watch this space kind of thing because they're gearing up to have a bit of a fight here by the looks of it. Um, you know, speaking of having fights, staying on the on the American side of things, we'll leave the abortion law alone. alone but I think it's archaic. I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's just garbage. And I think it's just a, a fucking, 
an indication of where America is going, to be honest with you. Um, but staying with the fight, you know, the Trump impeachment talks are starting to heat up from some of the members of Congress now. And that's causing a divide in the Democratic Party, which is great because the more divisive, you know, they can be amongst themselves, the better time Trump will have owning the airwaves, putting out his rhetoric and working himself towards a re-election campaign. So that's smart. But also, he can't be running around doing the things that he's doing. So he can't be running around just ignoring subpoenas, telling people to um, defy the subpoenas, not to testify, because that is, by definition, obstruction of justice. So I can understand why the impeachment conversation is heating up. I just don't know if it's going to serve the purpose. And I fear that if, they're, if they do it prematurely, that it will actually lose some of its power. You know? Like, if you go to impeach a president, you better be fucking sure that you can impeach him. Because if you don't, he's going to use all of that against you, especially a guy like Trump. You know, look what he did after the Mueller report came out. Didn't even say he was exonerated. They actually said the opposite. He just said it. it he just said the report just said they couldn't find any evidence of collusion, but they had no, no um, point of exoneration for the obstruction of justice. And that's why they referred it back to the Department of Justice. Obviously, Bill Burr turned around and said, nope, because we knew he would based on his previous writing and opinions that he had put, you know, into the public domain. But now they're just being defiant, ignorant, and, and cunty about the whole thing because the investigation is clearly not over. They're still going after taxes. They're still going after the obstruction. And all he continues to do is cause obstruction. So this is really, really interesting. And I don't want to go down the road of, of saying a constitutional crisis or, or, or anything like that, because I, I think that might be, you know, overdoing it. it. might be stretching the boundaries of, you know, pushing pushing to the edge of a constitutional crisis, but I don't think it's there just yet. Um, but somebody needs to rein this motherfucker in because he's not going to rein himself in. And as the marbles continue to fall out of his ears, you know, he's um, he's going to get more and more emboldened. He's going to get more and more crazy. And <clears throat> it's already evidenced in the way he's talking about some of the Democratic uh, presidential candidates, right? Like he went up on stage and was basically calling Pete Buttigieg, um, you know, cute for entering the presidential race. You know, Bill de Blasio, he was on Air Force One. He's like, yeah, good luck. Worst mayor in the world. Like, never going to win. Not going to beat me. Like, he's a he's a first-class cunt. Some people find it funny. And I can see the humor in some of it. But this is the president of the United States of America. A little decorum, please. And I, I know we've been going on about him for, you know, two years, basically. You know, uh, well, not that long on this podcast because we haven't been out that long. But, um He's just a first-class cocksucker. And the sooner he is in everybody's rearview mirror, the better. But the Democrats are doing everything they can to fuck this opportunity up. Everything they can to fuck it up. They can't agree on policy. There's 137 of them in the race to become the presidential candidate. None of them are going to drop out. Joe Biden, Grandpa Grabby Hands, is leading the pack. And he's one of the worst fucking candidates in there. You know, I really like uh, Tulsi. I really like uh, Pete. Um, I really, I, I like Andrew Yang. 
But apart from that, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. So it's going to be an interesting time, but they need to come to some sort of a head on whether they're going to do this impeachment, put it to bed for now and follow other methods of, you know, investigation and, you know, going through the courts and doing it that way. But they got to come together on something because all they're doing now is making, they're basically like labor, right? People are like, well, we can't have the conservatives and our choice is labor. But now we actually don't want labor because we don't, we don't fucking trust them either. They're just as screwed up as the Tories are. So let's go over to the Lib Dems. And I'm giving them a serious look for the for the for my vote in the next elections. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not voting for Corbyn, and I'm definitely not voting for the Tories. The shit show that they've put us through for the past two years is unforgivable. <clears throat> and I'm just I'm not gonna be one of these people that talks and then doesn't put my vote where it matters. I want that party dispersed. I want the current leadership dispersed, and I want things to change in this country. Being in the House of Lords last week and the House of Commons last week was a real eye-opener, and I'm very much contemplating how to get myself into this mess of politics. I just don't know if it's viable, but I would love to give it a crack because I think there's some real accountability that needs to be called out here. So um, it, it, it's really interesting, but... You know, the Democrats need to come together or Trump's going to smash him, get reelected, and we're going to have four more years. Imagine what this motherfucker would will be like if he doesn't have to worry about winning another election. Or maybe he'll corrode the system so much that what I said when he got elected will come to pass. And that is he will cancel the elections. Then what? Then we're off to the races, folks. Then you've got a different thing altogether. But we'll see. Right. So coming back home. Theresa May is supposed to resign by the end of next month. Right? And this is supposed to be to make way for new leadership. Of which Boris Johnson seems to be the running favorite. Now can you imagine if this came to pass that we talked about months and months and months ago that the person, and we also spoke about it more recently as well, the person that was a major proponent for why we were in this mess in the first place and did a lot to uh, kind of put out all of the misinformation and lies about what Brexit meant, made it seem like it was a piece of piss <clears throat> and we'd be sailing into, you know, the, uh, you know, we'd be sailing into, 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 uh, into a paradise, Everything would be sunshine. Everything would be prosperity. You know, just easy. We'd be getting cash back, everything. And then he just bounces out. Then he comes back as foreign secretary and makes a bunch of fucking errors. He can't negotiate the release of a hostage in the Middle East. I mean, the guy is a useless prick. And yet he stands to be the favorite as the next PM. Get the fuck out out of here so what we need to do is make sure that the conservative party has no authority in dictating who the leader of this country is that's what we have to do and that's what i fully intend to do with my vote in the next elections because again if you don't see the problem and act as part of the solution then you are actively part of the problem and people driving down my street, which is in a quiet residential neighborhood, in the evening, like fucking assholes. Like when, maybe, I, I don't know. 
When did it become completely uncool not to rev your engine, blast your music, or drive with your pedal to the floor at every second? You remember how you used to drive like when you were first, when you first got your license and you got your first car and you were a teenager and you were like, you know, you're reckless and you're being a kid. When did that end for you? Because that ended for me about, I don't know, maybe a year after I got my license. And certainly now that I'm driving again, it's not even a consideration, but I see so many dickheads driving around like they're 15 years old old with these kit cars from Fast and the Furious and they're not even kit cars from Fast and the Furious half, you know half the time they're just like a Mercedes or a BMW that's got no work done to a bog factory standard and they're driving it like a Formula One car it's just so fucking stupid but never mind not going to dwell on that <laughs> um, so you know you got Nigel Farage out there and he's getting milkshaked you know, Burger King are running these campaigns saying we're selling milkshakes all weekend long. Just saying. Hashtag just saying. Hashtag just saying. You know, and then you've got the uh, the snowflakes out there saying, how is this acceptable advertising standards? It's like, get the fuck out of here, man. Go get a life. Go get a life. But that guy that got, um, that chucked the, <laughs> the milkshake on Nigel Farage the other day, he got charged with um, minor assault and, and uh, something else. It's like, oh, God. You know, but they're investigating Farage now for his finances. So good luck with that. And of course, he's calling conspiracy. It's like, no, mate, you're just a fucking douchebag. And the quicker you climb into whatever hole you climbed out of would be great because you're a toxic personality you make no you make no effort to do anything good for anybody other than yourself and you're just a general fucking scumbag really so it'd be great if uh if everybody could not vote for him and just let's get him out of here <laughs> get out of here you know it's like tommy robson got milkshaked as well and I just fear that this, you know, something like this that's stupid right now could end up being some, like, who's going to be the, I don't even want to fucking say it. I don't even want to say it, you know, but it's like, when does something else go in that cup rather than ice cream or milkshake, you know, it's, um, yeah, I remember, I remember there was a thing in America in the early nineties. I remember hearing about it. I don't know if it was true or not because it was the 90s and I was a kid and we didn't have the internet yet. Um, but these people were robbing people with super soakers and the super soakers were full of bleach. And I remember hearing about like some people getting super soakered with bleach and it fucking them up, you know? And that's kind of like a different thing. Like... Obviously, we've got these acid attacks and shit like that, right? Like, it just makes me think about where these things can escalate to. It's like you've got the left versus the right. It's like, it's like when does this become a problem? Like, you just need a, a, the proper spark on one of these things. Look what happens in, you know, some of these Asian countries. When people disagree politically, it can get real ugly real quick. <clears throat> so I just hope, like, we need discourse rather than throwing 
McDonald's and Burger King milkshakes at people. You know, although it's comical to see a douchebag like that get painted with, you know, uh, whatever the guy said, a Banoffee milkshake or something from Five Guys. Um, but yeah, it's just we can do we can do better and we should do better because we expect our politicians to do better. So we should do better. Um, speaking of doing better. We got to do better as people, right? Like the start of this episode, we were talking about mental health and our addiction to social media and phones and stuff like that, right? Rather than tackling the issue by removing the problem, right? Cutting the tumor out, getting rid of the cancer. Rather than doing that, this town in Holland has decided to put traffic lights, pedestrian right of way. You know the you know the green man and the red man, yeah beeps when you can go yeah well some town or city in holland has put red stripes on the fucking floor why i thought it was for uh deaf people right so they could just see it like in their line of sight but they could see the other crossing walk signs anyways no these and they're just basically, if you come to um, the edge of a road where you walk across it on the path, there's a red line now being shone down instead of the red man across the way. You know what it's for? Cell phone addicts, mobile phone addicts, people who cannot be bothered to look up from their phone while crossing the road. And I am sorry but if you can't be bothered to look up from your phone while you're crossing the road, you deserve to meet the front of a transport truck. Sorry, don't need you anymore. You're not being productive as a human being if you're so entranced in your phone that you don't have the common sense to look up to see if it's safe to cross the road. Because if you don't know that fundamental thing, how the fuck should I trust you with anything else? You're not doing anything, okay? You're not making any strides towards bettering us as a civilization or a society. I'm just saying, if you're the type of asshole that crosses the road whilst looking at your phone, meet the front of a Mack truck, yeah? That's it. That's how I feel about it. I feel the same way about assholes walking through subway stations, malls, grocery stores, down the fucking sidewalk, just aimlessly staring into their phone with no regard as to where they're going, who's walking in the same proximity as them, or being able to move out of the way. If you're just so in, in entranced with what's going on in your little five, seven inch screen, I'm going to run you over. Why should that burden of dodging you be on me when you're the one that's not paying attention? How come? Why should I adjust? If I'm walking in a straight line and have been walking in a straight line to get to from point A to point B, the whole way, why should I veer around you when you're staring at your screen? I don't think I should. I'm not going to. Let's see how that goes. I'll tell you how it goes. Fantastic for me. I ran into three people on the way home today that were staring at their phone, oblivious to the fact that a grown man was walking towards them. And I was watching. 
is this person going to look up at the last moment when they feel my presence or they see my feet coming towards them from say like four feet out and then look up and make a move? Because again, if you're that type of person, you're an asshole. You're not taking anybody else into consideration and that means you're selfish. And if you're selfish, then you have no part of our community because you're not interested in involving yourself and interacting like a normal human being. You want to be an impediment. You want to be a, an obstacle. You want to be an inconvenience. And it doesn't matter to you that you are. So why should it matter to me that I have to move you or run into you and make you drop your phone? Not my fucking fault. If you're holding your phone out like an asshole to take a fucking selfie and I'm walking to where I'm going, why should I get out of the way? Maybe you shouldn't be taking a selfie in a busy underground subway station. Not the place. It's not picturesque. and Nobody cares. Be aware of your surroundings. Okay? That's all I'm going to say on that. But I think it's absolutely asinine that this that this town in Holland has accommodated these dickheads by putting the walk and do not walk lines across the pavement rather than up in the eye line. I think that's absurd. And I think that's fueling the problem rather than trying to help it and solve it. We shouldn't be encouraging this behavior. We should be doing everything to get people off of their cell phones and up back into the real world, present with us now. idiots. So the only other thing that I wanted to talk about today was this thing that I saw in the paper earlier. And what it is, is it's a clothing company. It's a clothing company called Universal Standard. And Universal Standard has now been named the most, the world's most inclusive clothing line. The reason is that they now offer a 00, zero all the way up to a 44. And in UK sizes, I'm being told that that is between a size 4 and a size 48. Now that goes from the anorexic starvation look to the obese, morbidly obese, right? So everything in between. And I understand what they're trying to do. I understand. They're trying to be inclusive. They're trying to make nobody feel unwelcome. Everybody is welcome. But I am sorry when you are promoting clothes that are size 48, you are not doing anything positive. Because somebody who is a size 48, unless they're seven foot tall, and that will up bring in a whole different aspect of health. If you are of a normal size height, but you are a size 48 in women's UK sizes or a 44 in America, you are morbidly obese and have serious health issues. That is unquestionable. Also, if you're a size zero, and you're not the tiniest petite little thing, there might be an issue with your weight. You might need some carbs, you might need some protein. 
I am a centrist in terms of, no, fuck that. I take that back. Fuck am I talking about? There is healthy and there is unhealthy. There are versions of healthy, but size 48 is not one of them. I am sorry, and I can tell you that the fucking model that they've got on the article is morbidly obese. she got a smile on her face, but she's terribly, terribly unhealthy and terribly, terribly overweight. Now, I don't want to hear it when you have universal standard, right? And they're only in the U.S. at the moment, right? But they include denim lines with the waist running from, ready? 25 inches, okay, to 68 inches. Again, I'll say it once more. As a female, if you have a 68-inch waist, you are not in any way, shape, or form healthy. This is not healthy marketing. <clears throat> Providing these clothes to people says... Yeah, if you're a fat fucking lazy asshole, completely unhealthy, doesn't doesn't value your body, your health, or your longevity, come on in. We got some fucking jeans for your ass. And maybe that's harsh. Maybe that's really harsh for me. I'm not saying that people should be on the zero spectrum because I don't think that's healthy either. I think people should be in the middle for the most part. If you want to be an extreme version of healthy, bodybuilder, CrossFit, whatever then you're going to take your exercise a little bit more seriously. But all of the variety of women in that kind of middle space, and that's why I started out saying I'm a bit of a centrist on this, everybody in that kind of middle space, if you're a size 10 or a 15 or a 20, you know, you're a bit bigger or whatever, fucking cares as long as you're healthy in all of your markers. But there is no way that someone with a 68-inch waist carrying all that extra fat is going to be healthy. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. So I don't like the fact that they're calling themselves the most inclusive brand in the world just by offering the opportunity for really, really poor, 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 for women who are in really poor health and really poor shape to just come on in and, and don't do anything about it. That's not healthy. And I don't think inclusive means good just because everybody's invited to the party. I just don't. And, and maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm out in left field on this one. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I just, I don't, I can't get on board with it. Now, some of the other shit in their mission statement is quite good. You know, for instance, if, uh, if your weight changes... Within 12 months, within 12 months of the purchase, they will send you a replacement size for free and the clothes that you return, they will donate to charity. That's awesome. That's awesome. The only negative I see in that is if you're trading a 48 for a, for a 54. You know? That's the problem. We should not be encouraging extremes of any type extreme thinness or extreme obesity that's not that's not good that's not good so this company that is called universal what is it called universal standard 
Like, what's a universal standard? Do you know what that means? It's a one-size-fit-all, right? If it's a universal standard, it's like, it's like something that's accepted across the board, right? But by its very definition, it's not that. It just means everybody can shop there. They're just trying to, they're just trying to corner the market, right? Because they're saying 67% of women in the U.S. are over a size 14, but very little, uh, very few fashion companies cater for those women. So like, well, you know, is this about being inclusive or is this just about identifying a gap in the market or is it both? But either way, if you're encouraging or supporting women of being obese and not changing their, their lifestyle, then I don't think you're doing anybody a service except yourself. So that's the last thing I wanted to talk about today um, because it's getting late and I'm hungry and, uh, and I need to go get some dinner. I've, I've put this, I put dinner off long enough so I could do this show, uh, but we're about an hour and 20 in and I think we've gone long enough. So we're going to park it. Um, I hope you guys listen. I hope you guys tune in. I want to know what you think. Um, but that's it for today, man. We went on a rant. I can't believe we did an hour and a half. I, I, I only plan on doing shows that are an hour long. So these ones are just when we, you know, when we, uh, when we, when we run on, and run on and run on. But never mind. Never mind. We're done for now. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Get the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. It'll be out on Thursday. Um, check us out on Twitter. We're getting much more active on that. You're going to get a sense of where we're coming from um, and some of the things that inform the shows going forward. So check us out, man. Download, rate, comment, subscribe. We appreciate you. Um, And that's it. So until next time, guys, this has been episode 90 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm your host, Daryl. It's been a fun one. Always like ranting. Just going to keep it a little shorter next time. So until we're back and until next time, all the best.